Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Welcome to November. I hope everyone had a lovely Halloween, All Hallows Eve, all that fun stuff. So I'm, I say this all the time, I'm aware of this. I'm super excited for today's interview. Again, I say this all the time, I'm aware. But today's interview is special because it's with somebody I have known for a very long time. We went to high school together. Um, We were both like super drama nerds back in the day. We were like the two playwrights of our, um, of our high school. And so today's interview is with Reverend Micah Busey, who works as an associate minister at Judson Memorial Church in New York City. Um, Micah is a graduate of Fordham University and Union Theological Seminary, and he has a new book out called The Book of Tiny Prayer, Daily Meditations from the Plague Year. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, um, Micah started on Facebook um, writing these sort of daily meditations, prayers, um, messages that he started to kind of put out into the world and they, he did it sort of as like a one-off thing and then they started to gain traction and, um, it is, you know, his book is a compilation of all of these, um, prayers, um, and something that we talk about in the interview is that, you know, the use of the word prayer, um, I, I am I am someone who left the sort of like Christian faith many, many years ago. And yet um, I love I love Micah's daily prayers and because they are not um, overtly religious. I think he even says in the interview that he only uses the word God once in like all 366 that came out of, you know, this particular book um, that he put together of the past year and a half. So it's um, his prayers, his idea of spirituality is very inclusive. He's openly queer. Um, and I, we just, we just had a lovely conversation and I'm very excited for this interview and for you to read Micah's book. Um, his, I, I told him this after we stopped recording, but a lot of what he talks about, um, like the, the daily prayers, they feel a lot like messages that you would get from like Oracle cards or tarot cards. And, um, uh, Micah told me he's like full into tarot and fully supports that. And as a tarot reader, I, I like, this feels like something, you know, if you, you could just like read the book in order, but I also feel like you could very easily like on a given day, open the book up and like take that message for that day, if that makes sense. So anyway, I will stop talking. I will let you listen to this interview (laughs) that I did with uh, Reverend Micah Busey on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today, Micah. It is such an honor to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel 
feel like we have to explain, <laughs> I have to explain to coworkers or to listeners. We've known each other for a very long time. Um, and that we went to high school together, but as we were just discussing before I hit record, we haven't like talked to each other in probably 20 years. So this is very exciting. This is very exciting. I, I feel like I'm going to stay at this constant hum. So folks have to just get used to it. I'm very, very excited to be here. So um, can you start by giving my listeners a brief introduction to the book of Tiny Prayer? Sure. Um, so the book of Tiny Prayer did not start out as a book. Um, it didn't start out as an idea for a book. It basically started as a moment in time where I was walking around New York City. Um, it was right in the midst of the time when New York City was going into lockdown uh, during the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States. And it was March 24th of 2020. And I worked part-time for an immigrant justice uh, organization. And I was desperately trying to find an open bank so that I could take money out so that I could run down to the immigration building before it closed so that, you know, we could try to bond another uh, immigrant friend of the organization out of immigration detention. And I couldn't find a bank. So I'm, I'm kind of like running around all of the, the city and, and couldn't find an open bank because everything was closing. And a notification came in on my phone that said that playwright Terrence McNally had died yeah. of COVID-19 complications. And I don't know what happened, but this was a person who had been such a hero to me um, and who I think was a hero to queer people and especially queer artists for decades and was also a voice of such wisdom during the AIDS epidemic and, and, um, and the continuing epidemic. And I just had this prayer bubble up in my heart and I typed it into my phone and posted it on, on Facebook. And it said, today's tiny prayer for Terrence McNally. And it was about like two and a half lines long. Um, and it ended with the word amen. And I posted it and, you know, it, I started to hear from people. Um, and thanking me and, and, and sort of uh, sharing with me th their thoughts about how uh, Terrence McNally's wisdom had guided them. And I went to bed that night just being like, well, I am mourning the loss of Terrence McNally. We are in this very, very scary time. Um, and I woke up the next morning and I just typed another prayer into my phone and posted it. And this one was for healthcare workers. And it was again, very, very short, um, ended with the word amen and people responded. And so that is an in introduction to this book because basically what the book is, is that I just kept doing that for 366 days. And Along the way, um, of course, with all of the fear and grief and illness and everything that we all have been experiencing um, during during this this really difficult time, I also contracted COVID myself. Um, I then started to suffer from what we are now calling long COVID, um, and so 366 days later, I just kind of realized that I couldn't keep doing it. Um, and couldn't keep it up. And so I thought, okay, it's been a year. 
It's March 24th, 2021. I'm just going to thank everybody um, and, and, and let it be. And uh, I posted that and posted the final prayer. And I heard almost immediately from an editor at Fordham University Press and his name's Richard. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. And, and Richard basically said, I've been following these prayers for the past year. And I think that they would be a wonderful um, and meaningful chronicle of this, this year that we've all spent, both acknowledging what we've experienced collectively and individually. Um, so basically, that's a very, very long way of telling you that the Book of Tiny Prayer is a book of 366 prayers um, that kind of run the gamut um, of, of what they are for and, um, and who they are for. Um, it has an introduction by me kind of giving context uh, for um, the, I think, the expansiveness of the prayers and the limitations of the prayers. And then also a foreword by one of my Theopoetics heroes, uh, Padre Gotuma, um, where he gives further context. And, and it's just kind of a representation of what was happening in one kind of uh, spiritual seeker's heart during this time. Uh, that was a long, but really good answer. And now I have to decide which of my follow-up questions to ask because they all sort of can be <laughs> taken from that. My goal was to just give you no more questions to ask. Oh no, I had like three prepared all of them. I'm like, I could, I could go with any of these as a follow-up. Um, so actually I, I think I'll touch on this. I, you know, you, it's the book of tiny prayer. You call them as prayers. Um, I say this as someone, um, who is both a Facebook friend of yours and has been reading them. And I think even today I commented, I was like this, I did not, I needed this today. Um, but I also left Christianity about 20 years ago. And mm -hmm. what I love about your, your tiny prayers is how accessible and applicable they are for anyone, regardless of their spiritual or religious beliefs or non-beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like that's quite an achievement, I think. Well, first of all, that is an honor to hear because that's exactly how I intend them to be received. So I'm I'm very pleased. Um, and I'll say this, and and I feel like I could go in kind of twenty different directions here. If you haven't if you haven't already noticed, um, I feel like so I'll choose just one or two paths. Um, the first being that, you know, I I am an ordained Christian minister. Um, that said, I work at a church where I have a very large contingent of at least agnostic, if not atheist members. Um, Judson Memorial Church, where I've been a minister for several years now um, in the heart of Greenwich Village in New York City, is a place where essentially we're always trying to curiously seek the intersections between a non-Christian specific and expansive spirituality, um, radical social justice, and uncensored, unfettered creativity. So it's, it's basically spirituality, justice, art. So that's kind of the context I've been raised in as a spiritual leader. And if I'm going to be honest, I wake up every morning basically an agnostic. <laughs> um, I have no idea what I believe in. Um, some days I wake up on a, on a, on a particularly, uh, you know, gray day, I wake up an atheist. Sure. And then I would argue that throughout the day, enough 
surprising connections, enough unexpected miracles, and enough, even in the midst of grief, enough um, just ways of people either reaching out to me in my own grief or me reaching out to others in my own need, enough of those connections happen that I go to bed every night being like, maybe something's out there. Even if it's just, I call it the dust of the universe. Um, for me, and, and to go back to your original question, you know, it is true that I do not name God or a God in any of these prayers, except for one prayer that that is specifically for those who are wondering where God is in all of this. Um, that's also a prayer to myself, as many of the prayers are. Um, but I just don't have any need for my own beliefs to ever be concretized. I think that for me is the complete opposite of living a spiritually curious life. And the exercise of writing these prayers, sharing them publicly, and being invited into a place where, um, where people were both thanking me um, and saying that it was what they needed, but then also challenging me and, mm -hmm. and saying like, why do you call them prayers? Why don't you call them something else? I, I would like it better if you would call it something else. For me, it, it came down to like, I, I'm, I'm aware that I am part of a tradition that has done a huge amount of harm in the world, violence, um, and continues to. I am a queer person who did not think that I could couple my spirituality and my queerness for a very long time and, and ran from, from spirituality for a while because of it. But I now think that it is my duty to interrogate this violence, interrogate all that's happened, um, and interrogate, you know, the fundamentalism that, that still uh, creates such, such violence and, and pain in the world, and instead say, there's actually a different way. There's another way for us to embody spirituality. There's another way to realize that I think at its root, spirituality is an inherently queer thing. Um, and, and my queerness calls me to question everything at every moment. And I will also say that I, you know, some people have asked me like, why don't you call them meditations? Why don't you call them blessings? Why don't you call them this word that wouldn't immediately like raise the hackles on my, on the back of my <laughs> neck and make me fear that you're about to push like Christianity yeah. or God down my throat. And here's my answer. The word prayer has been weaponized by so many people and or it's been weakened by so many people like we all know this this cliche of like if you say thoughts and prayers that basically means you're not going to think about it anymore and you're not going to do anything to yeah. actually address it for me i thought what if we actually tried to reclaim the word prayer and thought of prayer as an invitation to attention intention taking time and quieting the noise around you so you actually can not get lost in the chaos and actually take a moment to say, okay, if I'm saying these words, what commitment is it calling me toward? What will the next step be that I take? And so it means a lot to me to hear from, from you and from, from others like you who say, like, I left Christianity a long time ago. Well, first of all, me too. And I leave it every day. Um, it's worth leaving and, and it's, it's worth interrogating, I think. Um, but I think that it means a lot to me that when you say, 
and this prayer like meant something to me, I, I would like to imagine that it me- it doesn't mean that it's just that you clicked a like and then you you sent me a little note. I want you to carry that into your day and I want it to to change you. And that to me is the only way that a prayer is actually a prayer. And so I want to reclaim that word and not let, you know, the fundamentalist weaponize it and not let it be weakened by just saying like, oh, I'm, I'm praying, but I'm not really. Yeah. Now, all of what you have said has spoken so deeply to me because, um, yeah, I, I mean, we both grew up in the, the same conservative waspy town and um, <laughs> putting it politely. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> I, I grew up going to um, a Lutheran church in town that was Missouri Synod, which is sort of the more, cons- not the most conservative of the Lutheran churches, but pretty conservative. And then um, when I went to college, you know, not in this waspy conservative town I was like oh there's this whole world out here and Mm -hmm. I was definitely one of those when I was growing up even in the church questioned a lot of things and I didn't think that was really an option like it didn't seem like I was allowed to question things I was just sort of like supposed to buy into everything and I didn't and one of my problems that I had with the church is a lot of what you've said about um you know, there was a lack of, it was that thoughts and prayers, especially when it came to social justice issues that I personally felt strongly about and was nowhere there, or it was completely against like the, you know, like what I was being taught when against my own personal beliefs about these topics. And now though, I see, um, you know, spiritual leaders like you or Nadia Boltz Weber. And I'm like, you know, if I had had these people in my life 20 years ago, I might be mm. and like, I'm fine where I am. And I'm glad that I have access to, um, you know, your tiny prayers. And then, you know, like Nadia's books and, and others. And there's definitely this shift, I think that is happening in, um, with spiritual leaders who are taking this, not quite agnostic approach, but they're saying like, it doesn't have to be like that. And uh, yes, even as like an atheist, I'm like, thank you. I appreciate this. (laughs) Like it works for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that agnosticism is actually the most spiritually healthy and spiritually literate way that we can exist in the world. Because for me, the actual definition of agnosticism, um, and I, I, I won't go in, I don't know the actual etymology of the, of the word. <laughs> sure. So, so folks don't need to come for me in terms of, but in terms of like how, how I spiritually attach the word agnostic um, is that you are open to being changed. Mm-hmm. You are open to not knowing. And for me, that is the most important aspect of how to live an actually spiritually curious life is that you're open to not being the center of the universe and not having it all figured out and not being the one who has, you know, figured out all of the, all of the, the answers to the mysteries around you. I think that being open to, uh, to being wrong being open to being transformed, and then opening yourself up to encountering people and experiences that are not your own, that, that's the way to actually like not stagnate in you know, the, the, the kind of concretized, quote unquote, faith 
that I think you're saying, you know, was not particularly activating to you. Um, And it's funny because, you know, a lot of people, first of all, like, you know, I call, when I decided to go to seminary, I called it my second coming out because (laughs) when I came out to my family, it was like a non-issue. Like basically my family was like, thank you. We, we've been waiting. (laughs) Um, and so when I, and when I came out to my dad, especially, you know, I was very scared my father's a minister and I came out to him and my dad said, thank you so much for catching up. I've been waiting for you. I've been preparing for this and I'm ready for you to live your life. So you need to be ready to live your own life. And, and what's interesting to me is that the, the, first of all, the way that he responded to my coming out was like such a surprise, especially knowing that he is a Christian minister that it like started to reshape how I thought that I could, you know, couple my own spirituality back with my queerness. I'll also say though, that I call going to seminary, my moment of second coming out, because then when I told my, all my friends and my, especially my queer friends that I I was like, I think I'm going to go to seminary. That's when like, everybody was like, I think this is just a phase. Are you sure that I feel really betrayed by this choice? Um, You know? And so I got all of like the classic things that you're used to hearing from your family, like when you're coming out as a queer person. But I feel like, um, you know, the moment that I showed up at Judson and realized that there was a space where essentially people didn't try to ignore the harm that religion and especially Christianity has caused in the world, didn't try to sweep it under the rug, but instead said, this is our history. We have to interrogate this. We have to excavate this. And yes, we can, we can throw a lot of this away, but it's but we can't throw it away without acknowledging that it's still there. Uh-huh. And I feel like that to me is a lot of what is wrong with, you know, with society in general, that, but that we want to sweep history and the past under the rug and let it go. But those shadow sides are always going to be there. So I feel like spirituality also invites us into being in touch with those shadow sides. And and to me, you know, there's a part of me where I would say, like, don't go on a podcast and tell people as like a minister, as a spiritual leader that you wake up an agnostic every day. But I find that that is the only way that I can authentically live into my my own spirituality. That's the only and, and I want to be that person that you said, you know, you you needed back then, because that's the person that I needed as well. Um, thankfully, my dad ended up being you know a version of that person as well. But if we had more people who were authentically saying, you know, I don't know the answers to this, but what I'm going to do is be willing to gather in a space with you and work out, work it out and figure that out. um, Then I think that spirituality would be a whole lot better off. Now, if Christianity and a lot of Christian communities can't figure out how to do that, then I think that they should probably go away. (laughs) If you're God if the, you know, a lot of people say to me, um, well, I don't believe in God. And first of all, that's fine. Like, again, I wake up each morning and don't know that I do. <laughs> but what I, what I have started to ask is, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And when they describe the God that they don't believe in to me, my answer is always, that is not the God that I believe in either. Because any God that isn't giving you life and isn't validating 
you living your fullest life, that is not a God worth believing in. If there's a church who's not doing that for you, that is not a church worth going to. It is not worth your time. It is not worth your energy. And there are leaders and other seekers and spaces out there that are, are, are perfectly willing to sort of meet people where they are. And I want to be the person that, you know, if, if it's using the word prayer, if it's sending these things out into the world, I want to be a person that says, like, these spaces exist. Bring, bring all of your messiness, bring the pain, bring the harm, and we'll work through it together. I'm like sitting here listening to you and I'm like, you asked that question. And I was like, oh, I know where he's going with this. And I'm kind of having like an existential crisis now about like the God that I don't believe in. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I knew let's where have, you let's were have... going. I knew where you were going. I was like... <laughs> let's, let's join our existential crises together. We're going to figure it out. I don't think we have enough time on this podcast to do that. <laughs> it can be a continuing conversation. You know what? I'm, I'm 100% down for that. Um, <laughs> um, it's interesting that you said that, you know, Judson um, sort of acknowledges this is our history and we're rather than sort of sweeping it under the rug. And I've interviewed many authors over the past year and a half. And um, something that I think pop culture and media in particular is, is struggling with is how to handle the pandemic in stories, literature and TV shows and movies going forward. Like, do you acknowledge it or not? And I think you're the first to have, I mean, I've, I've talked about authors who have like written books during the pandemic, um, edited books during the pandemic. Sometimes they maybe mention it. I think you're the first who I've interviewed who has written that is in direct response to what mm. has been happening. Mm. And I just, I, I, I find that interesting that it, it, people are grappling with how do you handle this? And here you have like, here's our daily, this is just every day. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, this is the day, this is, this is the prayer. And this is what I'm putting out into the world rather than trying mm. to avoid what is happening out in the world. Absolutely. And, and well, I, and I hope, and I trust that there are others who, you know, will be, will also be sharing, you know, their own responses to, to the pandemic. But I will say, you know, I'm very honest about this in the introduction to the book. And I think, you know, in any conversation I'll have about it, I, I want to be very honest about saying, like, I am very moved when people say, how did you know that that's the prayer that I needed today? Or how did you, you know, how, how, how are you getting inside my head and heart and knowing exactly what I needed to hear? I love that. What I will say is I'm praying these prayers, not because I think I have some kind of like supernatural empathic, like connection with, with, you know, certain people in the world. And I just am able to, you know, drop this out there. I'm praying it because I need it. I'm praying it because I think that so much of what the prayers are about, particularly when they aren't about specific people or events, um, but but are more about you know uh, states of being um, and and you know and and, and moods. Um, I think that the they they were basically like what I 
needed to pray to myself in that time. And what I realized in praying them was like, oh, there are millennia's worth mm -hmm. of people who have felt these ways. There will be, hopefully, more people in the future who will feel these ways. And that made me feel less alone. It made me feel less isolated in a time where I think, you know, we were in, in ways both organic and manufactured. We were, you know, basically like feeling very alone and isolated. Um, and, and for me, it basically is proof again, that just naming exactly where you are takes a certain amount of courage instead of trying to just, you know, live in a fantasy of where you want to be or the way that you wish things had worked out. And I think that what I, what I called kind of noise in the world for me tends to be people either trying to ignore reality or wish reality away. Um, I think that creating new realities is certainly possible, but it doesn't happen if you live in fantasy. It doesn't happen if you just try to wish it away. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I, I feel like the, um, the fact that these prayers kind of are uh, trying to just name <laughs> the reality of, of where we are, um, that that's how it ends up pointing to the pandemic. Cause it's like, they were written during that yeah. time. Yeah. I, I would venture to guess if I wrote prayers and people were like, this has nothing to do with the pandemic and the fact that we're all like living in deep fear and deep grief and many of us are dying and many of us are in the hospital. Like people would be like, I'm not going to read that. I'm not <laughs> going to read that prayer. I don't want to read that prayer. Yeah. Um, and I think also, you know, sadly, I think that's what a lot of people connect to um, religious community as well. I feel like so many people that I talk to think that um, when, when I say that I'm a minister, I can see two main ways. I feel like they either, it connects to a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, um, which makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And, or it points to fantasy. It points to like, oh, so you like show up on Sunday and like you've invented this being where everything's going to be all right. And don't you know that the world is completely burning down and collapsing around you? Yeah. And for me, I want to say, no, <laughs> we don't ignore the harm. We don't ignore the pain. We don't ignore the fire. We don't ignore the collapse. We instead say these things can't be the final answer. How do we come together? How do we speak into existence who we want to be what we want to become but not ignore who we've been and who we are and therefore create who and what we want to be that's so good that's so good um <laughs> just like can you just talk you just like talk forever <laughs> i'm like you probably give really good sermons no <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I mean, I feel like sermons also, right? You, you know, people think that, I feel like when when somebody says, like, you're giving a sermon on Sunday, right? They, they probably think that I'm getting up there and just talking about how sure I am of my faith. That's yeah. not the sermon that I give. And I don't think it's the sermon that my congregation wants to hear. They want me to get up there and say, folks, I'm a mess. Are you a mess? Yeah. I'm trusting that you are. 
can we look at this mess together? Can we co-create change together? And that, that to me is, um, I wish that, that first of all, there were more spaces who were doing that and weren't trying, trying to hide behind some, you know, quote unquote, you know, fail proof faith. Um, and I think there are a lot of those spaces around and I wish that I could connect so many folks to them. Um, and I, I honestly will say, I think that's a place where a lot of queer communities are doing it right. Um, I think that actually spiritual communities have a lot to learn from, from like queer communities and, and mutual aid systems. You know, I think that, you know, so many religious communities right now are like, how do we survive? How do we keep people coming in the, in the building? How do we keep people paying money to be here? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, are you sure that you need to survive? Because yeah. there are these other communities out there that are actually doing what you say you're doing, maybe better than you're doing it. Um, and so I also think that the relevance of, of, of religious community will always be reliant on how much it's paying attention to the, to the world that is that is around it and all that's going on in that world. Um, and a, a spiritual community, a religious community that's not paying attention to the fact that we are in the midst of a global pandemic where like all of these horrifying systems that we've built to, you know, to further predatory capitalism and, and white supremacy and, you know, patriarchy and all of these awful things, like, if we're not paying attention to it and saying like, oh, maybe our call is to actually dismantle these things and actually um, co- you know, co-create something else in its place. If you're not doing that, should you exist anymore? I don't <laughs> think so. I, I don't know. At, and yeah, I say I, that to myself too. If I yeah. ever learn that like that's not what the community that I'm a part of is doing, then then I would say we need to figure out a way to actually give our resources and our time to to communities that are doing this. Um, and, and that to me is also why, you know, with the prayers that are collected here, I really don't want people, because I, I'm looking forward to the conversations where people say like, there wasn't a prayer in there for this. And, and my answer is, then let's write that prayer together. Yeah. Like, this is not a concretized book. This is not, I mean, I am a, a, a cisgender, white, gay, privileged man who who grew up in that waspy town with you, Jill. <laughs> and like I have I have shadows that I'm not in touch with all the time. I have corners that I won't, you know, go into because I'm afraid of them. I have experiences I haven't experienced. So this book is representative of like a very specific place. And so it's not gonna be touching all the places that that you know everybody wants to go but what i want to do i want this to model for others like your prayer book whether that's an actual published book or whether that's like you know the what what whatever you put out into the world those prayers are necessary um and and so i look forward to somebody you know sort of sort of saying like what about a prayer for this well i'm happy to write it but i'd much rather actually them write it and, and show it to me because I have a lot to learn. That was wonderful. That's such a good answer. <laughs> uh, Micah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with me. Thank you so much. 
Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grunenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.